Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Non-Contact Time, a podcast about all things educational with Hannah and Kath. I'm Kath. I'm Hannah. I nearly said I'm Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) It's the holidays. (laughs) It's the holidays. I totally lost my mind. I don't know who I am. (laughs) This week's a little different because it's summer holidays and we are having our summer barbecue episode. So welcome. I hope you've got a drink in your hand. I need to open mine. Let me, let's just see how satisfying this sound is. Oh. Now I've splashed a... it all over my microphone. And then this one. <laughs> and, then, and then the really uncouth bit where you have to su- su- <laughs> sup it off the top of the can. <laughs> But yeah, we've got our drinks. (laughs) We've got our drinks with us um, and we're a little bit more relaxed this uh, episode because we we have made it. We've all made it, teachers. We made it through (laughs) lockdown. We've made it through another academic year and I feel like we all need a round of applause. So, for those of you who have been listening all throughout the season, uh, we've, we've come up with some drinking games that you could play if you were listening to our podcast. For those of you who haven't been listening to us, you can go back and listen to some past episodes and maybe drink along to them. Because uh, Hannah and I have been doing a lot of self-reflection, as we do as teachers, and we've found some things that we do a lot of in our episodes and we're going to try and get rid of some of them next season. One of my favorites is the noises that my microphone make when I turn my head. So if you want to help us raise money so that I can get a decent microphone and we can improve the sound quality for us, um, we've got um, a link on Patreon so you can donate to us um, and we're looking at some other ways that you can help us or help me to get a microphone. Hannah has a lovely microphone. Um, so all of those terrible digital noises and sometimes my microphone pops as well. I think there's yeah. one episode where it popped. Um, I'm so sorry, listeners. So uh, yeah, you can have a drink every time you hear my microphone make a noise. <laughs> or every time I say absolutely, because I don't know of any other word to finish a sentence with when somebody's <laughs> finished speaking and I agree with them. <laughs> it's either I agree or absolutely if I really agree <laughs> firmly. That's so true. And, and then well. I <laughs> copy Hannah and then say absolutely too. And there are some episodes where we've said it six or seven times within <laughs> a couple of minutes. So that's a good one, particularly if you're doing shots out there. You can also have a drink every time I say so or start a sentence with so. Um, and there's also a lot, been a lot of digital noises. We're really sorry about the digital noises, everyone. Um, it's because we do most of this on Zoom, which we never intended to record a podcast over Zoom. So um, anytime you hear that, we really will. That was a good impression. Thank you. 
I do, I do um, listen back to our episodes so often that I get used to listening to all the digital noises that turn up in our episodes. <laughs> so if you wanted to have a little bit of fun um, as part of our episodes, you can go back and have a drink every time you hear us doing those. So drinking games you can play to non-contact time. This is our summer episode. So we were looking at different um, things that teachers should be doing or suggested that they should be doing over their summer. And I found a really great article that is quite sarcastic. So things like eating snacks all day, <laughs> using the restroom whenever you need to go, dream and research other job options, going to bed at 10.30 instead of 9.30, getting up at 7am instead of 5am, going shopping anywhere without buying stuff for school. I'm quite excited about that. During lockdown, I, I really noticed how much I saved because I wasn't buying art equipment for my art room or for my art students. That had a really big impact for me on lockdown and I need to stick to that when I go back to school. Um, drink coffee while sitting down. <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy doing that. And eating in general when sitting down. So things that you can do in your summer that you wouldn't normally get to do. I, How, what are you looking forward to doing this summer, Hannah? All of those things. Probably just eating real food and not just something that I've grabbed and shoved down my neck during a rehearsal <laughs> <laughs> because it's not healthy. Eating nice food and just being able to do things in my own time because I I go to bed at like nine o'clock because I'm an absolute weirdo <laughs> and <laughs> I would love to see you know 11 o'clock some of the best programs are on 10 till 11 and I just miss them <laughs> <laughs> what about you for me because lockdown has been weird and we're still got some issues this summer for me it's all about slowing down just slowing down the pace so things like my first day of the holidays, I actually just put on really loud music and cleaned my house, which sounds really boring. <laughs> but I couldn't remember the last time I'd actually been able to go through my entire house and tidy and clean and rearrange a few things and do things like dusting and, you know, vacuuming behind the sofa. It's all those little things. And we were, we've been enjoying our first couple of days of summer because the whole house is clean now. Um, so that's been quite nice. So we had a bit of a, ah, now we can just sit and enjoy our home. <laughs> I'm also going to spend some time doing some art. That's going to be very big for me. I actually bought my sketchbook for the Brooklyn Library and that's, it's not due till February next year. However, I do want to kind of sit down and start making some things for that. So I'm quite excited about that. And I'm also studying. So I'm going to be spending a lot of my holidays working and studying. So I'm doing a, um, a qualification at the moment um, and I want to try and get as much of that done over the summer as possible too. So I've actually got a really busy summer. I'm just sad that I'm not going to get to go away. Yeah. All those people who are going abroad, I envy you so much and I don't know how you're so brave. <laughs> <laughs> I had all my um, overseas travel cancelled and then we also looked at going to Australia for the summer um, and I'm going to put summer in inverted commas because it's actually winter but I'm from Brisbane where winter is actually warmer than our summer sometimes so <laughs> um, I really enjoyed going home um, over my summer holidays for winter with my parents even though I'm sitting in summer clothes and they're sitting in jumpers and Ugg boots um, but this year, because of all the quarantine rules, it's just not really going to be possible, which is a bit sad. I remember going to Australia a few years ago and I was stood at a bar, I think it might have been Brisbane, and no, it was Sydney. We were at the Sydney Opera House and it was just a bar on the front. And some guy came over to me, I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt, and he goes, don't you know it's winter? I was like, don't you know this is hotter than it is in England in the summer? <laughs> it was something like 20 degrees. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Brisbane's always sunny. So um, even if it's winter, the weather's just fantastic. So I really, really enjoy going over there in their 
winter because it's not too hot for me. My problem with Australia is the fact that it's so hot and I'm not very good in the heat. 40 <laughs> degree weather is not super fun for me. I know there's lots of people that love heat like that. Not me. I, I can't sit in the sun because I'm the palest person in the entire world. So I just kind of wilt <laughs> in the sun. <laughs> so going home for their winter and it's still being summery is fantastic for me. The best of both worlds. <laughs> I did read an article that was on ct3education.com of things that we should do over the summer. They're good ideas, but a lot of it was things like doing professional reading. And I've got to say, I'm not really super looking forward to doing lots of professional reading. I want to read some trash over my summer. <laughs> but I think it's because we, Hannah and I, are doing so much professional reading anyway. Things like connecting on Twitter, which I think lots of us have been doing that during lockdown anyway. For me, I use the Facebook groups to do so much connecting with other teachers. And honestly, those teachers that have contributed work to those forums, thank you so much. Um, for myself and my colleague, we have adapted so many of those resources so that we didn't have to start from scratch. And it's been so invaluable. So thank you to all those people. Um, I know for us, for the practical subjects in the UK, um, those people who've been sharing CLEEPS um, guidance as it's been updated, so it's all the risk assessments for practical subjects. If you're from another country, see if you can get onto the CLEEPS website because their resources are so amazing and they really do go through step by step everything we should be doing to make sure that we stay safe and our students stay safe. But it's just been really nice that people have gone, oh, it's been updated, here it is. Thank you, people. That's what we need. We need to be help. We should be helping each other like that anyway. Yeah. Another suggestion has been to stay connected with our colleagues. And I know Hannah and I have both been in touch with some of our friends from work. Um, we've, we've had a socially distanced catch up, which was probably the highlight of my lockdown so far. And it was just so nice to hear what things were like from other people's perspectives because mm. I think we do get kind of stuck in our own heads and we get worried about things and we get worried about situations and then when you get to talk to your colleagues it's so helpful definitely I'm trying not to That's say helpful. absolutely <laughs> <laughs> I can't so think hard. of any other word <laughs> Not to say absolutely that I can't say anything at all. <laughs> now, how many times have we just said it? Twice. So now, whoever's whoever's on Jaeger bombs, sorry. <laughs> so sorry to anyone drinking Jaeger bombs while listening to us today. Um, the final thing that it suggests on this website is things about self-care. And it's very been a very interesting learning curve for us doing this podcast. But the theme of well-being has come up in every single interview we've had with our guests this season. So many people have talked about the importance of work-life balance, the importance of our mental health, the importance of making sure that our oxygen masks on before we help others. It's been a huge theme throughout this season and actually even next season the people we've spoken to have hit on well-being and self-care as a huge part of our job. So I think that all teachers should be taking the time to make sure that when they return to school, they're as rested as they possibly can be, um, that they've really looked after themselves because I think without that, September's gonna be really, really tricky. Yeah, I read somewhere when we were doing that Young Minds research, it was talking about teachers and when they're stressed and they're not in the right headspace, they tend to not treat students in a patient way or in a thoughtful way. They're just reacting because of their emotions at the time. This is a great time to reflect on the way that you would like to be in September and try and ready yourself for that. So make sure that you've got all the stuff that you need, but also that you are in a position where you feel relaxed, you feel ready, whatever it takes over the summer to do that. Like I'm going to do loads of bike riding. I bought a bike. I'm going to do loads of reading. I'm just going to relax. I think for me during lockdown, drawing has been such a huge thing and I need to find time and space to be able to draw for myself. So one of the things I did during lockdown was I participated in Sky Arts uh, Portrait Artist of the Week and 
it was so important to me during the week to make that time to draw. I'm actually quite sad it's over because now I'm kind of, I have to come up with my own challenges instead of watching <laughs> <laughs> the show each week, which I really, really enjoyed um, because the people that host the show are so knowledgeable and they talk in a way that's so interesting and engaging. So even just watching the show was really calming and then actually doing the drawings as well was really calming. And then one week my artwork actually showed up on the show <laughs> and that was really exciting. So um, finding that time to draw is going to be huge for me um, getting ready for September. Yeah. So Hannah, what are some of the things that you've taken away from this season of non-contact time? Oh, so much. Myself, I don't look at my well-being as it just doesn't feature in my day-to-day -day life because I don't think about it. I just, you know, I, I'm a goal-orientated person. Oh, I've got a show next week. I've got to prepare for that. And then the week after we've got liturgies and then the week after that I've got... So my, um, my well-being kind of takes a sidestep and it's listening to all of the strategies and things that people have spoken about on the podcast has meant that I think about my well-being a lot more which has helped me improve it because I'm aware mm. so I've been doing some of the strategies that have been suggested but obviously this podcast has been the best thing because we talk every week and um, what about you? I think the um, big thing about well-being that I've taken away is that idea of debriefing and I don't think I ever realized how important that was and in so many of my jobs before now I've had people that I've been able to debrief with. And then during lockdown, obviously, we've been doing it quite often. Um, I just, I don't think I realized how much well-being is a huge part of our job. And I've always known it for my students and it's something I'm still worried about for September. When I was at school, I was um, a bit of a troubled teenager and I had a, a sanctuary in the art room and a sanctuary in the music room. My music and art teachers were amazing. And I think being able to look after my own well-being is going to have an impact on them. But I'm at the moment, that's kind of in the back of my mind. What can I keep doing that's going to be able to support them? From all the CPD that I've done and from all the people we've spoken to, I think that that idea of well-being is never going to go away. And I think sometimes when we approach well-being, it's like a Band-Aid and you go, oh, I'm going to deal with my well-being today. Put a band-aid on it and then not think about it again and I think we need to be thinking about it every day and then also when we're teaching thinking about how we can help these young people look after their well-being every day as well yeah on that note let's listen to what some of our guests have said they do to look after their well-being I've really started to pay more attention to this uh, in the past few years really and I'd say in the past year, this year, I've, I've really kind of made a conscious decision to to try and do more yoga as well. So um, there's a really good app called Down Dog as well, which is currently free for teachers, but I think that's going to be expiring soon as well. Uh, and just doing like a bit of stretching and uh, a bit of yoga kind of every day. And at least once a week, I go to like a proper yoga class with people and kind of reconnect and just kind of do that and just to spend like an hour a week where you can kind of focus on on yourself and just breathe and do nothing but stretch I find really good and I know it, it maybe sounds like a bit of a cliche but that's like my one thing after a really stressful day whatnot just have a bit of me time a bit of breathing a bit of stretching I like reflecting and bouncing ideas and just opening up to co-workers uh, you know we have a really tight-knit group of teachers at our school community and just being able to have that level of comfortability to just speak and uh, get things off your chest and you know release all that steam with coworkers in the moment and knowing you have a trusting ear is very essential to before you go home to your family and just uh, getting those things off your mind. I've seen it's really important to debrief to kind of just take a moment to pause myself and consider the day you know, I'd quite often, you know, after a difficult day, the first thing I do is make a cup of coffee. Um, and while I'm waiting for it to, to, to the kettle to boil, I'm thinking and I'm, you know, analysing how I'm feeling and what happened in the day and why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Um, and then after my coffee's made, I've got it in my cup, I walk back to our classroom 
um, I sit and talk with the rest of my team and we kind of talk about what happened in the day and um, you know share the lighthearted moments but also kind of encourage each other and empathize with each other where you know others have found it tough too. This is an answer I never thought I'd give actually but increasingly in the last five weeks I've been doing jigsaws Oh. <laughs> uh, which, which you know, I've always enjoyed a jigsaw right back into my childhoods, um, but I actually I find it incredibly, incredibly sort of meditative. You know, you are just focused on one task, which is, which is such a rare position to find ourselves in. I think in the modern world, we're constantly mentally multitasking. You know, and I think you know that's that's ultimately what mindfulness is all about. It's focusing on one thing. So. Uh, jigsaws, uh, but when I can make the time and um, when I'm when I'm feeling um, less, slightly less lazy, um, I also like to either go for a good run, or um, I've got I've got you know uh, elements of a CrossFit gym, uh, so I go and throw some weights around um, <laughs> and and do that. So that I also find that very enjoyable. No, I don't do enough of it, and that's um, to do Sudoku. Oh yeah, my, is that right? My accent, number puzzles. Um, <laughs> I don't, and I don't do enough of it. Uh, what I do tend to do more often is just sleep. For me, it's all about people. So um, whether it's a phone call this time, but normally it would be going and seeing people, going out somewhere. Um, I uh, I'm a big on music, putting it out there, um, and. Uh, drama as well so I'm a member of the local drama club um, I play for a local brass band so going out being with people that are like-minded that I can just have a fun time with I don't have to then think about work um, once I'm there um, and it's just sort of doing something different to work staying at home you end up you know fixing things up for the next day or thinking oh I could just do a little bit more of that or maybe I could just adapt that planning for tomorrow you know that it's perfect. You know that it's it's, it's going to work. You know that you've got everything ready, but you can always just check it again. So keeping busy with other activities so that I can just take that complete mental break from it. Now, Hannah, I think it was really interesting that you were talking about how much we've realized that it's a system problem rather than just individual problems. I think um, that old saying a problem shared is a problem halved I've really felt that from talking to all of our guests and when they've said oh this is a problem in education I've gone oh yeah I feel like that too and it does kind of validate the way you're disappointed with the way education's necessarily being imparted from the top down what's something you'd like to see changed in education, Hannah? I would agree with Kelly when she spoke about accountability and standardised testing. So here's a clip from her interview. The external assessment intensity of it, just ever, like all the GCSEs leading up to one linear exam or exam two mm. papers or something. And I think this year it's really kind of proven that um, maybe it's not the best model that we have. Like, what if we can't hold these exams? What do we do then? And we've had to kind of whip together this this, this system, which, you know, if you just go off of teacher assessments with, you know, that has rigor and, and um, formality to it, then that should be good enough. It shouldn't all be leading up to like these these one-time exams are just so stressful for kids and teachers alike with so much accountability held to it. It's mm. got to be a better way. Kelly raised some really interesting points in that interview and I think that this reliance on standardised testing needs to be a systematic change rather than an individual one because the reliance on standardised testing permeates throughout a child's education so via their targets at GCSE by their targets during the SATs and then into college but it also has an effect on a teacher's performance management and also the judgment of a school. I've spoken to a parent um, it was a couple of years ago and we were talking about their children and she had a child that had gone through year 11 on the new progress system so obviously she was tested in year six and then she was given this ridiculously high target that she had to achieve so it was a level eight. And the reason that she performed so well in year six is because she worked incredibly hard. So it then meant when she was in year 11 
she was under a lot of pressure because she didn't have just an eight target for one subject. She had an eight target for all of her subject. So this child was literally drowning in revision. And she was an incredibly hard working young girl. And she was bright as well. But it's that idea that she had to reach this incredibly challenging target that was really tough for her. I ended up taking the pressure off her and saying, you know, just make a beautiful artwork, just make something about yourself that's really personal and use art as your subject that is your stress relief. And she actually accidentally got an eight, which was fantastic. But it was because she all of her work was really about the amount of pressure and stress she was under. And it was very telling. And I wish I could share those artworks with the government and go, this is what you're doing to children. This is how they see their lives at this age. Um, so this parent had another child that was about to go through the system at year six. She actually said to her kid, I don't care if you fail. In fact, I think it's better if you fail so that you have really low targets so you can just exceed your targets up at year 11. And I think that's also damaging that whole idea that our progress is linear because we all know we have good days, we have bad days. And if you have a bad day on the day you sit a test, it has such an effect or an impact on everything. And it just seems really unfair because if you don't do well on a test, it's not a failure because that test is just one test. And later on in life, you could retake it. You could um, do a degree that assesses you in a different way. You might go into an apprenticeship, you might go and get a job. And that score means nothing when you're older. Yeah, unless you want to go into a job like teaching where you need, I needed to see in English and maths. It doesn't really make a difference. That score is just a score, especially considering the bell curve that everybody talks about. So mm. only a certain number of students can get a four and only a certain yeah. number of students in the country can get a five. So if you've got a really exceptionally intelligent cohort who have all revised, that um, bar is gonna be a lot more difficult to hit than it would be if mm. the year before there was not, you know, not as many students who revised or maybe the content was slightly more challenging or, you know, it's, it's all relative. And I think that's what, that's the problem that I find with it. I'm quite mathematical. I like, well, if I get 100 out of 100, then I'm a nine. But it doesn't mm. work like that in, in real life. And I think um, that system, I'm not sure why that system's better than if we were to just say, right, okay, 60% is a C every year or a four every year. I don't understand mm. why we would change that. Do you know why? Grade inflation. Yeah. So on the old specifications, they did have some subjects had stable grade boundaries and each year more and more people were pushing kids over those boundaries or pushing the boundaries um, particularly when we had coursework so it was pushing those boundaries at the top so that more and more students were achieving them and I thought that was the reason they added the nine was so that an eight is actually the top of your GCSE and then your nine is exceptional because that's what it actually says that's the word wording that's used on the criteria for art it says exceptional because we used to always talk about at moderation conferences students who are working beyond GCSE or students who are working beyond A level because you would always have a few when you went around to centres and just went oh this is magnificent so my understanding is that they added the nine so it would be exceptional yet schools are still putting teachers under pressure and saying, well, you've got to make those children all get nines, but it's supposed to be an exceptional measure. It's not supposed to be every year you're going to get loads of nines. It should be that actually the children who are exceptional are getting those nines. But because nine is now a judgment for what is a good school, it's now pushing those students even further and putting it puts more pressure on teachers and then that follows down onto our students and then our, the parents that are supporting those students it's it's too much pressure what i don't understand is from a government perspective why if teachers are understanding the specs more and they know what work to set their students to achieve higher grades 
why would you as a government go, oh, we can't have that. <laughs> what we're going <laughs> to do is we're going to push everyone back because I don't think that's fair. I, I really no, do not, not think that is fair. And then going back to what you said previously about students who do really well in SATs then have higher targets when they get to secondary school. I find that really challenging as a non-core subject. I'll have a student who comes in in year seven who has probably only done a little bit of music. They might have done wider ops for a year where they get to play an instrument in year four or five. But I mean, I don't remember what happened last week. These kids have then got to remember what they did in year four or five and they get to year seven. Mm. And they're playing a totally different instrument because we haven't got a class set of violins, you know, surprisingly. Um, and they come in and they do not have enough musical knowledge to get them past a grade one. So yeah. they'll come in and some of them have done really well at literacy and numeracy in their stats. And they'll have a target of a four or a five. And I'll be like, what? <laughs> this mm. child has never touched a keyboard in their life. And by the end of this year, their parents are going to look at that report. And when it says below target, they're going to be really disheartened. But actually, it's not that that child's below target because why have they got a target of a four in music when they've never done it anyway? It, it mm. should just be... You know, these students are taken from year seven and we start afresh with the non-core subjects. So the two things that I'd like to change about education, Hannah, there's only two. One, <laughs> more funding. We need more money. Everyone in the country needs more money. If you go on the school, is it school tracker or school check? You can actually type in the postcode of your school and see how much money your students get per year and I think my school's something like students get £200 per student for the year. That's across every subject so that's including using the building, using water, using electricity and if you put it in those terms and then have to split it up against um, lots of different subjects. So my students only get £2 per student a year and £1 of that is a sketchbook. So imagine trying to then make magnificent artworks with only one pound per student for the year. It's quite difficult. So funding is something that I think this country really needs to change. And the other thing that I'd really like to see change, which actually follows on really well from all the standardized testing, is I just don't think every child's an academic. And I think this push in the UK for students to have an academic qualification rather than maybe a vocational qualification is quite damaging too. There are so many students that we teach that they'd be a great beautician, they'd be a great hairdresser, they'd be a great mechanic, um, they'd be a great mechanical engineer even, but they're very practical people and the exams and the testing doesn't really cater to them and the subjects that we teach don't really cater to them. And it's not until after their GCSEs and they've already been hit by terrible results that they actually get to find their path. And I think it'd be really useful for some of those students to find that path earlier. So I wish that there was a vocational route that was parallel to GCSEs and academic qualifications. And for some students who are a bit of both, being able to dip in and out of both and have an option of both. I know in Australia, when I taught there many years ago, like 20 years ago, <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually, I worked in a school. I really enjoyed working in this school, but we had two routes. We had a, a vocational and an academic. And some of the vocational kids really thrived and flourished in that environment. There was a subject where they did mechanics and they actually pulled apart a car and put the car back together and learned about all the parts of the car. And one day a week they were off site working at an actual mechanics. And those students did so well and they still did English and maths and science, but then they had this vocation and they knew what they were going to do after school and they're able to try lots of things. And I think the UK is missing a trick by not including that on the curriculum. Also, we need to get away from this um, perception that non-academic means that we are lowering our expectations because That's actually so some of the careers that you've mentioned there are, you know, very academic. If you're an, an, uh, an electrical engineer or a mechanical engineer, that is quite an academic 
subject if you are an mm. accountant that is quite an academic thing to be but I know people who've not done so well in school and gone to do a vocational accountancy qualification and absolutely thrived so this mm. whole it it, <laughs> it annoys it's me more snobbery. yeah exactly it is snobbery and what really irritates me is when somebody refers to music as non-academic because it's not English, maths or science. And actually, mm. I would just want to scream at them that what, <laughs> other, what other subject requires technical skill, but also the knowledge of Latin, the knowledge of Italian, how, you know, the knowledge of reading music, the knowledge of musical history. It's not non-academic. It's just a practical subject. And yeah. that's that's not the same thing that it really really irritates me you know I challenge any school leader who hasn't played an instrument before to have a go over the summer holidays and see if you can do it and yeah <laughs> you know maybe have a go at grade one because grade one's the lowest just have a go at grade one in any instrument <laughs> and tell me that's not academic Exactly. Um, engagement, as we know as teachers, is so incredibly important. And if we could engage students on a path that they really want to pursue, I think we're doing a good job. Yeah. We need to say a massive thank you to all our guests from this season. Kelly, Michael, James, James Pope, Ellis, Jackie and Kirsten. Thank you so much for being on the show this season. We've really appreciated all your advice and your passion that you've shared with us on our episodes. And you've also helped us to make this season really, really successful. Anna, what are some of the things that you're thinking about using in your own teaching practice? All of it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start with, uh, I'm going to start with Kelly because I've never heard of dual coding before and I looked at after after the episode looked into it a little bit more and Oliver Caviglione followed me on Twitter (laughs) 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 so um, I've looked into all that and we've created some dual coding icons for all of the key command words in the AQA spec so they're going to be available on Patreon from next week So if you would like to have access to those, you can sign up for our our £5 tier, the expensive tier. (laughs) (laughs) But so £5 a month and you can receive some of the resources that we've created to do with the things that we've spoken about with each of our guests. So I think that's probably the one that I'm going to go with because when we spoke to Kelly, it made me realize that across all subjects, we all use certain command words like evaluate, synthesize, describe, um, all those types of words probably mean the same in every subject. So if I evaluated a piece of music, you could evaluate a piece of art, um, English would evaluate a poem, science would evaluate an experiment. So if we can all get together as subject leaders, use the same image but then have that to coincide with a structure so how do you evaluate something what are the key things that you need to include how do you how do you start how do you finish an evaluation i think students would have such a in-depth knowledge of that particular word or that particular um, strategy that they would do much better across the board So that would be my takeaway from that. And that's what I'd like to do in September. I'd like other subjects to look at those command words. And, you know, I I might teach them a different way to evaluate, but then students could go, well, actually I used this evaluation technique in music. And I could also use that in poetry because it's quite a similar, um, you know, you could evaluate the lyrics. It's quite similar. So I'd like to use that in September. Yeah, I've got um, icons that I'm now using. We're going to change the way we're teaching. We're using booklets and we're using the icons to signpost things in the booklet. So any of the challenge tasks have an icon. Anytime there's a keyword that they might need to learn or they need the definition, there's an icon to show where they can find that definition. Um, We've also got icons to show if they need to do it in the booklet or in their sketchbook 
So we've signposted lots of things. I actually learn a lot from dual coding too. So thanks to Kelly for that. My one from Michael was definitely um, the we before me. I loved when he was talking about sportsmanship and talking about um, working as a team. And I think sometimes, particularly for me, because I, I work on my own quite a lot and I know you work on your own quite a lot, Hannah. But forgetting that we're a part of a bigger team sometimes and I really want in September to really feel that team spirit and make sure that whatever I'm doing is supporting my colleagues as well. Yeah, I think some of the strategies that he used, so he was talking about loads of meetings with other teachers and that if a student is maybe misbehaving in one subject, then that could affect their ability to play on the team. And mm -hmm. if we, I know it's, you know, it's not a perfect solution, but if we say to students who are really engaged in sport, look, you've got to be nice to all your teachers and you've got to try your best. We're not asking for amazing, you know, we don't, we don't want you to always get nines. <laughs> we want you to just be trying your best. I think that would have a positive impact because it's using it like a carrot and stick, isn't it? So if we've got some students in music or art that do really well and show those leadership skills and are quite mature and work really hard, but maybe they're not doing the same in maths, I might, you know, I'd like to say to that student, look, if you want to carry on performing in these high profile events with school, I need you to try a bit harder in your other subjects. And I think that would really work. James's book, Leaving Work at Work, um, I think every teacher has moments where they need to do more and more of that. And I think we've talked a lot this episode about how we're going to try and create better boundaries for September. For me, like setting my boundaries and my limits because I don't think I was aware of all of them. For me, it's always buying art equipment for students. And I actually had a conversation in work just before school finished, and I actually said, I'm no longer going to be buying all this stuff for students. And the person I was speaking to actually went, I didn't know that you did that. And um, it's such a financial implication. The reason that my department stays afloat at the moment is because my colleague and I buy so much ourselves and making our senior leadership team more aware of that's important. So that's going to be one of my limits for September, as well as just looking after my mental health um, and making sure that I'm bringing my best cap into work each day. I read somewhere on Reddit actually um, that somebody put a quote that said, if we stop funding our classrooms, then it will make the government realise that school budgets are underfunded and we do need more support. And I kind of agree, but I, I just think, why should a teacher be spending their wages supporting students? I know that we want to get the best for our students and I know that teachers fund things that help students pro make progress, which then mm -hmm. you know keeps your subject alive, but actually, it's really important that we do set those kind of boundaries. Um, I have to admit that I pretty much was sitting in awe when we were talking to James Pope. <laughs> um, <laughs> he really just seemed so knowledgeable about education and I probably could have spoken to him for another two hours. But um, I would actually really like to have him on another episode talking about his idea of pausing Ofsted because I don't think Ofsted coming in in September when people are first trying stuff out and making things work is going to be very productive. Here's a clip from the podcast where James talks about Ofsted. Uh, the, the, the danger that this will be controversial, not controversial. Um, <laughs> I, I would, I, I think so much, so much of what we've experienced in the last decade has, and possibly longer than that, but I think so much of what we do and how we do it is influenced by the Ofsted framework. Um, that I, I would change that, um, you know, very, very simplistic. I wouldn't get rid of accountability. I think that's really important. But I think we have to, we have to make sure that we are really clear on those bits that the accountability framework can be black and white about, and those bits which are actually far, far more nuanced. You know, so is a school safe or not safe? For me, that's a fairly black or white. You can, you know, a, a regulatory system can decide whether that is the case or not. 
off the back of the outcomes for children in a school, you can make a fairly conclusive statement about the outcomes of children at that school. What you can't do is use that to then make all sorts of other statements about the quality of education going on in that school. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think we just need it. There's been a step in the right direction with the focus on the curriculum, but already, you know, we're seeing situations where, um, you know, there is a perceived curriculum of type, uh, things should be done in a certain way. Um, and I think we have to stop repeating the problems of the past, uh, whereby to make, to, to achieve consistency in the accountability system, what we do is try and iron out all of the wrinkles that exist. Actually, that's, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to be really clear about what we can hold people to account for in a black and white way and what we can then offer guidance on about the way in which a school should do things. Those are two very different conversations. In the next episode, episode seven, we spoke to Kirsten about rubrics and that was really important to me because hearing about different strategies to help students become more independent is so useful in a busy classroom and I really wanted to find different ways that more able students could push forward and not be held back by my instruction or the rate that other students were completing the work. So here's a clip from Kirsten talking about rubrics. A rubric is a marking grid. So it may look like a table, you know, like from Microsoft Excel or from a Word document. So it looks like a table essentially, and it has lists of evaluative criteria and it has lists of quality labels. And there's a criteria for each level. And then you can just apply that to whatever assessment task that you're doing. And it gives you a nice visual representation of what you're expecting from the student. And then once you've completed it, a nice visual representation of what the student has produced. Any strategy to help students become more independent in the lesson is so beneficial because as a teacher, you set the pace, don't you? And yeah. if you can set the pace, but then signpost them on how to improve themselves. If they're a conscientious student or they enjoy the stretching challenge and they always you know, finish first or whatever it might be, they've got something there to work towards without having to constantly ask you, because I, I don't know about you, but those students who every five minutes go, I've finished, and then you go over and you say, yeah, but you've not added in the left hand. Oh, right, okay. And then they've done the left hand and then they go, I've finished. Yeah, but you've not added in a walking base in there. <laughs> It's like, just read the, but if you've got that in the rubric, if you've got those, in, you know, explicit instructions and some scaffolding to help them get there, it means that you can concentrate on the students that are really struggling and you can really help those and get all the class up to a certain point. And then the really expert students will move at a faster rate and be able to digest more material and improve their practice that way. So I really do like the idea of rubrics. I think they are really important in the classroom. And I've taken it one step further and started to add like a mark scheme with it. And I know a lot, you do it as well. You have the rubric and then a tick sheet so that when you mark books, you don't have to write on every book. Well done, you've used shading. <laughs> you can just yeah. tick, <laughs> which we is great. This, yeah, we use it a lot for self-evaluation um, just because a lot of art is about identifying what you've done well and then identifying what you need to do next and it's also about identifying when to stop which is the hardest part of art because there's this fine line between something being overworked and being underworked it's like that perfect sweet spot <laughs> um, which is really hard for a student to work out but being able to show students you need to do all these steps and you need to have checked that you've used all of these skills before you start saying it's finished and having that internal monologue of self-evaluation is really important. So a lot of our assessment now is um, getting students to evaluate themselves first or evaluating themselves continually. And then us just going, yeah, I agree with you. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me sound really lazy, but it's not quite as lazy as that. <laughs> no, it's, work, it's work smarter, not harder. <laughs> yeah. But it's also being able to celebrate with the students when they're being able to understand a criteria is pretty exciting for a student. And then the students being able to apply that criteria is very exciting. And then when they get to the end and 
even if they haven't met all the criteria, but they're really proud of what they've done, that's a huge achievement. Yeah, definitely. And I think I would like to spend more time in my classroom celebrating that instead of constantly telling them what to do because I don't like yeah. I don't like that in an art subject where it's supposed to be free and um, students are supposed to find their own path. I like a rubric because it points them in the right direction, but it also gives them room to do something a bit experimental or actually, you know, some of the things that students come up with that I've not told them to do are absolutely amazing. And I don't want to take away that creativity from them. So that's what a rubric does for me. Yeah, it enables them to have self-expression as well as meet um, assessment criteria. And I think, well, particularly for our subjects, it's so incredibly important. Yeah, I think as well, just the fact that it's easier to mark because I can just tick Mm. something. And it means that marking a whole set of books takes me 15 minutes. Our guest from Prime A, Ellis, um, he has taught me some fantastic things about coding and also that I think we should work more cross-curricularly because it helps students like we've spoke about before with the dual coding if you do things across different subjects it helps students really understand that topic a lot better and I know we've spoken about it before because in music we're supposed to study music from across the world across different cultures we study different styles of notation different instruments and if I was to study, for example, historical music from maybe the blues kind of era, I would really like to marry that up with history, or I would really like to discuss some of the artwork that might have been produced back in the Baroque era, because I think that would be really interesting because students get a, a kind of bigger understanding of what was happening at the time and also what it looks like and they can visualize it. So when, when we talked about the primate stuff Ellis was talking about how students can use the code and the the building blocks for scratch to then turn it into something like maybe a quiz a self-marking quiz but even like a an information page about a topic because we spoke about in school knowledge organizers and things like that it'd be great for students to create a knowledge organizer for music for a certain topic that's interactive that students can then use as revision so all Mm. this kind of i don't think coding coding is obviously a subject in itself but i think there's so many more uses for it that can branch out across you know different curriculums and i just find that really exciting i'd love to do some stuff like that He also talked about in his five questions about experiential learning. And I love the idea of doing things rather than just talking about them. And I think a big part of my subject is actually doing things rather than just talking about them. Because to be fair, if you just watch me paint something and I talked about the techniques, it'd be pretty dull for kids to watch. (laughs) um, We've been doing quite a lot of that with our little one and, um, trying to contextualize what he's learning. And I think that's really exciting as well. Yeah, I really do like that. I don't know whether it it does lend more to practical subjects, but I know when my friend has done revision before, so in music, you study Indian music. And so when we're looking at Indian ragas and Indian classical music, she's created finger food Indian finger food as like a a way to marry up the experience and the music so they'll sit and have like a a little Indian banquet while they're listening to classical Indian music and just experiencing that helps students Mm -hmm. remember because you know how many times you go into school and your teachers laid out a banquet for you (laughs) so they'll remember that experience and then they talk about the topic and it's just really helpful and I like that kind of learning I think it it really does embed it in lots of different ways. Uh, One of my favorite subjects at university was a subject called fashion and art and it was it was actually about history but it was marrying up what you could see in an image with the technology and the events of that time so that when you look at an artwork you knew exactly what time period it was from but it was more about history because understanding the history meant that you could identify things that people were wearing and I think because it was such a visual subject I remember loads about it now and I think 
if you can make it powerful like that so that it's stuck or burned into people's memories, <laughs> it's always much more powerful later on in their life. Yeah, definitely. And obviously I was really happy to have Jackie on the show because um, I actually volunteer for art and um, I've done a lot of work with them in the past. So I know what a fantastic organization they are, but having Jackie talk about why the programs work for young people and some of the strategies she talked about when talking to children about what they can do when they're not feeling quite so confident. I loved when I, there's actually a graphic on social media where she talked about when a student's feeling failure, rather than even dwelling on it or even mentioning the word failure, just constantly referring back to what can we gain from this? Mm, yeah. I like that she was talking about um, how she works with other groups of people as well. So it's not just students. She does um, prenatal stuff. She works very closely with people who, and I like the way that she described it. Mental health is, we've spoke about this before. Mental health is a spectrum and everybody's yeah. got mental health. Either, uh, you know, it's either a, a positive experience or it's an it's a negative one and we need to turn that negative into a positive and I really like that idea because I at certain times of the year when stress gets high I notice a decline in my mental health but it's not yeah. that I have maybe a diagnosable condition it's just that I'm not looking after myself properly and that should be a trigger for me to go you know what I need to look after myself I need to do something debrief or whatever we've spoken about before to make me feel me again and I think that's really important to to know because the way that she explained it was often people feel like mental health issues happen to other people because it's such a stigmatized word and I don't think it should be it's just you know you have good days you have bad days and we need to address those days to make sure that we can be as positive as possible I totally agree with all of that um, and it's, I think it's really important that we understand how we're feeling at certain times, because if we don't know how we're feeling, then we can't actually address it. Yeah. So I think it's also acknowledging those feelings when we're having them, because I know as teachers, we're terrible at it. We often kind of leave the processing of emotion until our holidays or our weekends and it means that we're not actually getting the time to ourselves over those times for me I always get really sick over holidays <laughs> I always end up with the flu or in bed with something because I'm always putting off dealing with how I'm feeling or dealing with a situation and that really builds up over time and if we, we were able to name it and acknowledge it and deal with it then we're gonna have better mental health over the long term yeah if you would like any of our notes from previous episodes we're actually going to put these up on patreon they will be available um when the new season starts because they're going to take me a little bit of time to keep compiling but we've essentially documented all the teaching and learning from every episode and put them into some easy slides that you can print out you can have them in your planner or you could put them as a a flip book or however or just keep them on the computer if you wanted to so if you do um contribute to our patreon you'll have access to those from september yeah because we're in a uh, full-on planning mode for get kath a microphone because i don't know whether you've noticed but she's had to go hands-free and take her microphone out because she's got a headphone microphone and it's totally just broke during this episode. So <laughs> now more than ever, we need, because <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a musician, I have kind of equipment anyway, but you know, why would anybody have a condenser microphone in the house unless they are a podcaster or a musician? So um, anybody who supports our Patreon, that's what it's going towards. We're gonna get Kath a microphone so that the quality of the recording can be much better for season two so if you'd like to help us log on to patreon search for non-contact time we'll put the links on social media as well so that you can have a look and there are two tiers on there one's two pounds and you can subscribe to us and you'll get all the episodes ad free and three days before they come out on apple Podcasts and other places you'll get a shout out on the show you'll get some badges and all the lovely things and we'll follow you on social media 
if you pay for the five pound tier, that will get you the resources that we've spoken about, the show notes that Kath's just spoken about and some extra little things as well. We are taking a break and we will be back on the 24th of August on Patreon and the 26th of August on all of our other amazing services. So Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Spotify, and some others possibly by then. Our first episode back will be a back to work special focusing on the things that we need to do when we first go back to, to school, but also helping anyone who's an NQT or um, someone who's starting a new job. So we'll be giving you some tips about what you can do if you're starting a new job or starting in a school for the first time. Yeah, we've got some really exciting guests as well in that season two. To start off with, we've got, we're speaking to a PGCE student who's going to explain all about their PGCE year through the pandemic and then what they're going to do in September when they start their first job. We've got university lecturers from Cardiff University who are going to talk about shy children and how to differentiate those students and get the best out of them. It's so interesting what they talk about on shy children. I really recommend listening to that one. Yeah, it's something that I never even thought about in the classroom because you differentiate your pupil premium, boys, girls, high ability, all that kind of stuff, but you never really think about shy children. So, because like they say in the episode, they're usually the students who sit there and quietly get on with the work and you don't notice that maybe they would like a bit more interaction. We've got David Weston from the Teacher Development Trust and he's going to talk to us about teacher development the importance of amazing CPD and how you can make your CPD more productive for your staff. Mm. And there's also a benchmarking tool on their website. So if you're in charge of CPD in your school, you can actually see how your budget compares against other schools in the country. So that's a really interesting tool. And they've also done these amazing CPD connect up during lockdown. I'm not sure if they're available beyond then but they do have free events for staff to engage with and I participated in quite a few after we interviewed him and they're really really useful so I can highly recommend those. We're talking to a couple of teachers who have left the teaching profession. One that talks to us about mental health and some of the ways that we could change the conversation and change our leadership style to support people with mental health. Mental health has been a real theme of both seasons and not because we directly went searching for it, it was actually people contacting us to talk about it and then every single person we interview somehow ends up talking about mental health. So we have another mental health special next season and we're also talking to Ellie Dix from The Dark Imp who creates board games for educational settings. You can use them as a parent at home with your families or you could use them in school and she talks about how you can use them in different ways. She's also written a book about the board game family. Um, I've just purchased it. It's on my summer reading list now. So <laughs> I'll let you know next season how I go with the book. Um, we're really excited about next season um, and we want to also thank all of our amazing listeners because so many of you have gotten in contact with us and talked to us about what you enjoyed about our episodes and it really has made our day when we receive reviews, emails, messages on social media. Um, often we'll send them to each other and then send a little <laughs> emoji. <laughs> because it's quite exciting and particularly I think it has been a really tough academic year so making this podcast has really helped us but then hearing your lovely feedback has really also been fantastic so thank you to everyone. So today we are drawing our social media review competition. Um, we've had so many in, we've had lots of reviews on Apple Podcasts, it turns out um, we weren't accessing all of them so we now have them all. <laughs> That was my mistake. So apparently, if you log onto your phone and look at the reviews, if you live in the UK, there's only two reviews on there. And I was like, come on, why are we not getting any? And then when I actually worked out what was going wrong, I'd logged on on my computer and I found loads of reviews in different countries that I just can't access from my phone. So we've added those to our list of um, amazing reviews and we're going to draw out the best or our favorite 
um, to receive a little goodie bag over the summer holidays. So do, should we read out a couple of the reviews that we've got on the on Apple? And then, sure. So, yeah, tell us some of those reviews. So I really like great show. As an educator, I can appreciate a podcast where teachers can discuss topics of importance. Keep up the great work. And that was from T Dixon 508. Um, there's also another one that says, I am so grateful I stumbled across this new podcast. I found it super helpful as a parent and I will definitely pass it along to other parents I know with smaller children. Love the hosts and it's very well done. Obviously, I love that one. <laughs> oh, they love us. That's nice. <laughs> so we had some really nice reviews over email and on Twitter and in our DMs. So that's really, really nice. So we've included all of those as well in our little drawer. This is one of the classroom tools I use all the time when I want to choose a student to show me their work. And if you if you type in classtools.net forward slash random hyphen name hyphen picker. So it's the random name picker on classtools.net and you put all the names of the students in. We've put all the names of the reviews or the reviewers into this wheel and you press go and it'll go round and pick somebody at random. So, are you ready? I'm ready. So, our winner is Russell Wellbeing. He sent us a review via Twitter and his handle is at RussellWellB. So, well done, Russell. Well done, Russell. And if you get in contact with us via email or via social media, we will get your address and send out a summer goodie bag for you. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. I hope you all have an amazing summer. Thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you for all the reviews, the emails, the likes, the shares, all of those things. We've really, really enjoyed. Um, we'll still be sharing some things over the summer on social media, but it might be a little quieter than normal and if you do have any suggestions of things you want to hear next season do get in contact with us noncontacttime at gmail.com or at noncontacttime on instagram twitter linkedin and facebook mm -hmm. brilliant and we'll see you on the 24th or the 26th of august when we're back with season two with our back to work special episodes have a great summer bye bye